guys welcome to true patriot podcast the secret to outstanding achievement is not education or talent but grit a special blend of passion and persistence grit is about having passion and perseverance for long-term goals gritty people are able to maintain their determination and motivation over long periods despite experiences with failure and adversity and that is a quote from Ben Daly. And we are lucky to have Ben with us on the podcast yeah. today. Ben is a seven-year, he served seven years in the Navy from 87 to 93, uh, served as a Navy SEAL, was wounded in a desert storm and got a purple heart. And he's taken the time out of his day to hang out with us. And we're going to talk to Ben and talk about his life and he I, he's got a lot of great wisdom and great stories, um, you know. I, we just really appreciate having Ben here today. <laughs> Thank you. All right, um, let's jump right into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, we have some icebreaker rapid fire questions for you, Ben, to kind of break the ice and uh, get us started here today. Cool. So, first one: cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> good answer oh, good answer <laughs> <laughs> if you would have said cats we just would have ended the inter interview yeah, right like away. Long, long, like, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, favorite firearm stig p226 isn't that the like standard issue it is pistol? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trust it sitting by my bedside <laughs> so fa favorite firearm brand i feel like i'm already know this one six hour uh, CC. I put CZ up there too. CC. I don't even know what that is. CZ. 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 See? Yeah. I'll just go with Echoes C. Echoes the Lock firearm. Pretty good. I got you. Um, I thought this was funny because you're so into fitness, but what is your favorite candy? <laughs> Dude, man, I uh, and I like candy. Like when I was uh, just in Europe, that's all I eat is candy and Diet Coke. Uh, favorite one? Probably Skittles. Which they just banned out here in California. Fuckers. Really? Oh, yeah, because that yeah. chemical. Yeah. <laughs> What's it has like one it has like one ingredient that they just passed a new bill and that ingredients illegal yeah. now. So now we can't have it. Is that That's the crazy. red is that the red forty or what is it? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's they're, all made I, up anyway. <laughs> they'll be back. They'll be back, Ben. Shows that sucks. <laughs> Our government's priorities. Uh favorite color. Blue. Favorite historical historical figure? Ben Franklin. Actually, you know, actually Helen Keller, I think, too. Okay. She's, a, she, she's my do hero. You think, do you think Helen Keller's real? <laughs> what? I think so. A lot of people, you know, a lot of uh, conspiracy I think theories. she's a hero because she had no reference point. She was deaf, blind, and she had to teach herself how to talk. How to communicate, all that stuff. I hear she's well, that, that's the conspiracy theory that people think she wasn't actually blind and deaf. Really? Well, yeah. Well, I took the wind out of my sail. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question. What is a patriot in your words? 
You know, I prefer to keep this definition simple because I think it's uh, there's a lot of fake patriotism out there. But, you know, and it's good you, you, you asked that question, but I think real patriotism, uh, in fact, I know, means loving the people of the United States and advocating um, and implementing policies that benefit the people of the United States, even when you have to question uh, current mm -hmm. government policies. And I think patriotism is being abused immensely uh, in this country right now because there should be no question of personal gain for anybody yeah. serving this country, and it's rampant. So mm -hmm. that's my definition of it. Of course, simple. Great answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, that's the end of the uh, icebreakers. Um, I guess we'll get right into it. I mean, we kind of want to know your your whole story here, and we'll kind of go through it. But where where did you grow up? Where did you call home as a in your childhood, Ben? Yeah. So I was born on uh, in the East Coast. I was born in Connecticut. Um, two teachers, uh, two parents of teachers, and then when I was seven years old. Um, they moved out to, sorry about that guys. I don't know what's going so back up alarm. Um, we moved out to New Mexico and I was like literally the only albino kid out in New Mexico that wanted to be out there because <laughs> my grandfather was in aerospace. So he'd always worked down at White Sands and they wanted a big change. So we moved out to Albuquerque when it was literally just dirt roads yeah. and tumbleweeds. There was nothing. Um, and I hated it. I, so, um, spent, you know, pretty much my entire childhood there. Um, and, you know, being a, like, I got in a lot of trouble, you know, I had a lot of kind of, I was creative, I guess, and had a lot of uh, misdirected energy. But, um, when I was 17, the day after I graduated high school, I was in boot camp. I left that quick. So wow. family's still all there. Um, but, you know, pretty much a working class family, you know, I spent every weekend, Put, digging fence posts, doing hard labor with my father. He owned a sign company, outdoor sign company. You know, just hustling. But it was, uh, you know, it's just New Mexico back then. I call it occupied Mexico. I mean, <laughs> so, so um, opportunity there. Did you find yourself playing any sports? Did you? Yeah. So I was always kind of good at everything, but not like super fantastic. Um, and really, I, my sister is the one that's got all the athletic ability because I was kind of a lanky kid, just not really good much in anything. But I did swim, believe it or not. You know, I was on the swim team. That makes a lot of <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah, I did the IM. So that was, you know, obviously mm -hmm. a tough, tough event. Yeah. Uh, and um, with that, I played soccer and then uh, getting to weightlifting probably until high school. But mm -hmm. primarily it's just swim team. And uh, and then I played uh, soccer um my entire my entire so like seven to 15 16 so how did um the military kind of enter your mind yeah what was, what was going on so um, my uncle served he was a navy diver i always looked up to him he's a big old boy he's like almost seven feet tall you know hard hat <laughs> diver Not a tough guy east coast guy but you know looked up to him and then my grandfather has always been in he was you know working on missiles stuff like that for perkin elmer um, so I grew up around that and my father uh, was in the army. And so really, you know, my childhood was just kind of a natural interest. To, I was always playing war, you know, yeah. just shooting guns, stuff like that. And, um, you know, just gravitated towards it. You know, there wasn't a lot like PT 109 was a TV show. When I was younger, there was no Navy SEAL books whatsoever. I read, I read the book Rogue Warrior. And, you know, that was kind of the, the intro or caveat to that. 
And then my uncle as well. You know, I thought I wanted to go in as a diver. And when I read Rogue Warrior, you know, it's kind of like a diver to shoot and blow stuff up. Yeah. So I said, I'd go that route and, and try it, you know. Um, so you so joined the Navy with full intentions of becoming a SEAL. Yeah. Well, so they, yeah, I mean, that was the deal. Um, and they, back then it wasn't kind of like glorified like it is now. And a lot yeah. of people didn't know a lot about it, but I went in the Navy cause my, like I didn't have any options. You know, my parents were teachers, but it was like college wasn't really, you know, on my agenda. And I just wanted the fuck out of New Mexico. I mean, I <laughs> hated it here. And, um, I mean, literally, I mean, it's just like, I, I mean, you know, I, like we grew up, like my friends were five miles apart, you know, it was just like, you know, I was in the country. Um, so it was not, you know, it was kind of like a bad, a bad 10 years of my life while I lived there, you know, but, um, I just wanted out. And then, uh, the military was kind of like at first an excuse to get out. And I knew that I'd, I'd end up in trouble because towards the end of high school, I was, pushing the limits, you know, with the law and uh, primarily stuff like drag racing, you know, driving without a license. I think once I woke up on the, the bicycle path, I had an FJ40 Land Cruiser. I was drunk and passed out or something. Morning, but, you know, stuff like that. I was like, I just got to get out of here. You, know? you, so, you, you kept getting a pass, but you're just going to wind up biting you hard. Is that yeah, it's funny. When I go back, I could still see one of the motorcycles. He was like the only motorcycle cop in New Mexico. <laughs> and he works out at my mom's gym. And so I see this cop and he's like working out. He's got an old eight, like a cassette player <laughs> with like the Walkman headphones. And he's oh, like, no. and I'm like, dude, he used to be a motorcycle cop here. Like and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Murphy. And he, he took away my license like four or five times. <laughs> so, That's pretty awesome. So, you join the Navy and, uh, I don't know, kind of walk us through that. You, you just hop on a bus or you hop on a plane or. Yeah. So I, I was in the delayed entry program. And then back then we had to go to a school. Um, so, and there were a limited number of a schools. So I went, uh, to what they call fire control, uh, a school which was like gunner's mate. Um, because you had to have a rating. If you didn't make it through buds, you had to go back to the fleet. You don't want to go back as undesignated. Like now you go through either you're an SO rating. But if you, you don't make it, you're still undesignated in the fleet, which is the worst thing you could do. So um, I tested pretty high in the ASVAB. I wanted to be an avi aviation electronics technician, uh, but that rating isn't, they wouldn't let you do um, uh, go SEALs uh, for that. So I did Gunner's Mate and I went to 22 weeks of like electronics school, got out of A school and actually went to the fleet. So I went on uh, out to, uh, Westpac. I got pretty lucky on the USS Fanning. And when I came back, I went to Butts. So I kind of have seen the whole, the whole yeah. circle. But yeah. So day after graduation, plane, boot camp, went to boot camp, A school, went to the fleet, and then went back to Coronado and went to Butts. So how long were you in the fleet before you went to Butts? Uh, a little over six months. And it was kind of a cool deal. Like um, I was on the USS Fanning. So they, mm -hmm. It was like, a, it's like a frigate, an ASW frigate, but it's only like 200 people. So it's a small mm -hmm. boat, and, but everyone knows everyone. And they were just getting deployed out uh, to Westpac. So I was able to do the whole show back thing, you know, the full, just trial by fire. I mean, two weeks after I showed up, I was out to sea. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of a cool experience. But I didn't. I, but it also taught me I didn't want to be on a ship. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious how you know you went. So you went straight from that ship to to buds. I mean, 
were you able to train properly? Was, you knew yeah, it was coming. So, so that was the good thing because um, normally when you go to boot camp, you get detrained. And on the ship, we worked out. So I was able to train quite a bit, even, <laughs> you know, yeah, as much as you can. I mean, we had like a small universal machine, small helo deck, but it was just stuff we did, you know, push-ups, pull-ups. Um, the cardio stuff was a little tougher to do. But, uh, yeah, I trained pretty hard on that. It was a lot smaller, too. It was 180 pounds, you know, back then. Yeah. But So I showed up pretty fit, you know, and um, pretty ready for it. I didn't, there wasn't a lot of guidance. I just, you know, knew you had to, you know, do lots of push-ups and pull-ups and, and <laughs> run, which I hate doing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, was, I, was, I did all right. I guess that makes sense. If you're stuck on the ship, you don't have the ability to reach all your other distractions. You're kind of just stuck on the yeah, ship. Yeah, so it was it's really the only thing you can't do. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. Even when we pulled into ports and stuff like that, I was pretty – pretty intense you know sure I'd go out and party and i could be the pied piper sometimes but <laughs> for the most part um yeah i was pretty you know i just wanted to get to buds and get through it and see mm -hmm. when yeah let's talk about buds um i mean obviously it's i don't know I, i'm not a seal so i don't i can't say one or the other but i feel like it's probably a little bit different back then than it is now yeah um, i think well there's a lot more information now that you know but uh, back then um it's just an ass kicker. It's not training. You know, everyone's <laughs> it's training. It's really a screening uh, process. So, you know, it's just to make sure that the people that come through are the ones that they want to invest time and effort into training. I mean, it's just an ass kicker. I mean, that's, that's just plain and simple. And, and I didn't know any better, too. I was pretty, I mean, very young, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I just kind of like the other option for me. Well, there's no other option. So I just didn't give, you know, like not making it a chance. Um, but it, it uh, and I, you know, the good, I, I like, I think um, what helped was I was, didn't go off base on the weekends, didn't have any of those distractions. A lot of my time was just, you know, after the day was over prepping, recuperating, and just kind of like, like putting the blinders on and just taking it like, mm -hmm. They say you get a meal by meal, but it's like day by day. Okay, I made it through today. I mean, the worst day is the first day you wake up after the first day because you're <laughs> so fucking sore. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, God, you got to think like six more months of this. And then the other thing, too, when I went through Buds through the period is second phase and third phase for a few classes were switched. A lot of people don't know this. So land warfare was actually second phase for my, my group. Still and... Um, that's where you get a, a taste of, I guess, really being a SEAL. And I think that helped because it exposed, you know, land warfare is not really that fun, but it still exposed me to like, kind of like, you know, what it was like to be a SEAL then versus to go through, you know, um, second phase the way it is today, um, mm -hmm. you know, the water phase. But um, still, you know, I, I uh, and I made it through pretty much without any injuries. I wasn't the fastest. I was like your typical, like your gray man. Um, I did get yeah. in trouble once. I did get thrown in jail in Tijuana. One weekend, we went out for three <laughs> for three days, and uh, wow! When I got back, they just drug tested me, and I had a pretty good reputation, so they just let me let me. You know, I didn't. I just kind of stayed. They didn't do so, anything. so what was it? Alcohol drug test or? Uh, they they did. Uh, yeah. Well, back then it was. <laughs> yeah. You know what? What did they test for? Like. They, 
Mm. And marijuana, I think, is the big thing, probably <laughs> cocaine, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like they, you know, we did fuck around with juice. I'm telling you that when we got out. Um, but they didn't really t- test for that stuff. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't know how they test for it. Maybe they just do the blood levels or whatnot. But but I really, you know, you don't need to do that stuff to, to make it through. Like the only thing you could have during buds is ibuprofen. Like you can't take it like if pre-workout existed back then, you can't have that. You know, it's like you got to drink water, you know, so it's, it, you, know, it's, you can't drink Gatorade, stuff like So it's, it was pretty, uh, you know. So let's roll that back. So you, th- you think a good part of guys showed up like on the, on the juice for buds? No, or, or that was kind of like after. No, I can tell you, I can tell you. So the late '80s is where that bodybuilding craze started to take take yeah. off. And I'd say a few of us, like so, like when I got out of buds, like yeah, I got into more weightlifting, right? Weight training, yeah, just putting right, yeah. That weight and up. a few of us, yeah, <laughs> didn't mess around with it, but it wasn't like I can tell you honestly, it wasn't rampant. Like yeah, here, here, like now. To civilians like in Sandy, especially coming out, saying everyone's on TRT and all this shit. Yeah. Like, you don't need it. You really don't. I think you know. I can understand some of the older guys um, because you do get pretty beat up, um, and even to this day, you know, I've like it's just it where you know it's it's it it kills your body, especially the both yeah. guys. I mean, Jesus Christ. But, Jake and I've kind of had this conversation before. It seems like there's a lot of young people on something now everywhere like. out here <laughs> very and they very young <laughs> that's the whole thing and they take it and they screw up their bodies so early on mm-hmm. that they don't um you know they they don't give themselves to a mature physiologically to their genetic potential and yeah. then they're just like on the shit and they're smooth and they don't look in shape and, and they <laughs> you know they shut their body down their own production down but you no know, honestly i can say you don't need it at probably all. probably doing hundred other things wrong, and then you're still doing that. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, yeah. Even like we were focused on diet. I mean, I would just even back then, it was just like we would eat a ton. Of, like just I eat whoppers, like four whoppers. That would be my like. I wasn't focused on meals or anything, but you know, again, it was just a different deal. But, all right, I got us a little off track there. Uh, let's get let's roll back into buds. That's where we were at. Um, yeah. So, what was the hardest part about buds for you? Like, what was the was there ever there was there one thing that was just like, man, that I know you said quitting was never on the table, but what was your worst moment in that training? Yes, if you can remember, it's, it's been a while. Yeah, hell week. Um, I don't think it was the worst <laughs> moment. I think the hardest thing for me to do was uh, the teamwork uh, part of it. Because I was yeah. kind of a lone wolf, and that always hurt me in the teams. Um, and you know, you kind of have to be like, you know, like the team player. I mean, especially in buds. But I was, uh, mm-hmm. I had to work through that um, a lot. And sometimes even afterwards, you know, like hanging out with the team, you just got to do it just to from a just a camaraderie uh, type thing. And I didn't, you know, it kind of like my time was my time. So that that was always an issue. So the hardest thing was really the teamwork, and then looking at other guys. And you could see it like they just like weren't putting out, you know, and um, mm-hmm. and they eventually would weed themselves out. But like when you're fucking like going all out, you know, and, you know, you, you can see like people say they want it, but they didn't really, you know, they don't really want it. You know, yeah. I don't have any, any tolerance, any tolerance for that. 
and it, so, uh, it hurt you. I get. I'm guessing if they, you know, you get treated as a team. Yeah, we, so, I mean, yeah, tune each other up. I mean, pretty quick. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was really uh, the team thing. Because I mean, a lot of the guys like. I don't know. You know, you have all kinds of personalities, but like, and there's some dumb motherfuckers too. Like, it's just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, you, you find you gravitate towards certain people, but the, the mint, like what the, the biggest taxing thing is, you always got to be on. Like, it's always on. Like, even now when I hang around some of the younger team guys and stuff like that, we're able to kind of keep each other in check. Like, you know, that I, I just, yeah, it's just, Sometimes it just gets too much, you know, where you just want to like a break and it's just like, yeah, rah, rah, rah. It just gets, you know, it becomes too taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I didn't play that game too well. And the drinking thing too was like another thing. I wasn't too big of a partier. I mean, I was when I wanted to, but they drink and party hard and we work out hard. But, you know, at some point it's just like, I, don't know, I was just valued my sleep and my alone time. So <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, so what was um your time in the navy like you know after buds and uh you kind of joined your team what was yes. that like so, so back then you didn't get pinned until um you got to go through a probationary period uh with your team here you go through they didn't even they just came back then it was called sgt seal technical training it's sqt now so they just started that and then basically after that you get pinned so you kind of go on probation and when you get to your team, that's where, you know, really it was kind of the work started, you know, you just really don't know shit. Um, yeah. And you got to prove yourself. I mean, like your reputation, you, when they say you got to earn it every single day, like if you're late or you forget something, you'll fuck. I mean, it'll take you months to earn that trust back mm-hmm. with everyone. So that's what I mean. It's like, you got to be very careful with what you say and do, you know, and, and they watch the hell out of you. You know, that that's a big thing. And, and we kind of keep, you know, we self-police ourselves, you know, the teams, but I got lucky because, uh, you know, I, I had one deployment, you know, and, um, I got to go over to desert shield, desert storm. And even though it was brief, um, it was kind of like lucky back at that time. Cause a lot of people, you know, it was the Vietnam guys for the last guys that deployed. And then there was a lot of people that just never deployed. So the turnover was pretty good. Like a lot of people would not stay in because there's just nothing going on, you know, just to yeah. be working all the time and be gone. You know, it's, it, it's, it, it's a grind, it becomes a grind. But, um, yeah, the transition was was a, kind of a, a pretty awakening. And then right from there, we did work out and we went over to uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And that was kind of cool, you know. It's actually, that was more like a little bit of a vacation because I thought, you know, it was going to be like, <laughs> you hit the ground, guns blazing and shit like that. But it was not at all like that. It was really, I mean, there's yeah. some minor stuff here and there, but... For the most part, it was it was pretty quiet. Um, you want to explain how you ended up getting that Purple Heart? Yeah, so that's courtesy of Raytheon. So when the first um, Gulf War kicked off, they, uh, the cluster munitions, um, you know, basically we used a lot of those. Um, it's called a GBU-53. And that um, a lot of them are designed to turn into anti-personnel mines when they don't detonate or find anything. And most of the injuries in Desert Shield, in fact, over 100, all those casualties are caused by the uh, Blue 97, which is that cluster munition. And so basically these things were designed so well that um, when they hit the ground, they have like a little bag um, 
it's like a parachute, kind of a slow to descent. They hit the ground, it's like a little yellow parachute, and it's really? it's called an always active fuse. So we call the mark on call the EOD guys to come in and, and detonate them, but you can't move them uh, because as soon as they move, they'll, they'll detonate, and you can't crack and 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 de- disarm them. That's how oh, well wow. they were. Designed. In fact, those are the things we're sending over to Ukraine now because they're they're banned, they're outlawed. But essentially, um, we have just marked. I mean, we mark them with spray cans, and and uh, we call the EOD guys in. But when that uh, reservist set it off, um, so I just marked this thing, and I turn around, and I, I I knew what happened, but I didn't believe what happened. So the thing goes off, kills the guy uh, that set it off, and I took a piece of shrapnel, went through the magazine of my M14. Um, and it went, um, it would have gone into my, into, I didn't have any side plates on. It would have gone into my torso. Thank God it didn't. And it went right into my, I can't really see, but I got 120 stitches here, but it went through, Damn. through my elbow, shattered my elbow, ulnar nerve. And then if you look like this hand is kind of, yeah, th- that's I your ulnar, ulnar nerve there. Yeah. That- yeah. I can't, I have no use of it. Um, and then basically you know, I didn't even know I was hit, really. I just felt the warmth of the blood. And then um, and it didn't hurt that bad um, until after. And so the options were, and this is about year six, like right in there. And the options were to stitch the nerve back together, but it takes like, I think, not a month for it to grow an inch. And it's kind of like a tried, like not a real exact science. Or they could just stitch me up. So what they did was they just had them stitch me up. And I could still, you know, function pretty well with these three three fingers. And I ended up staying in um, for the remainder of my time. And I got out. Didn't even claim disability until they chased me down, like, years later. Wow. Uh, to get it. Um, so, you know, but that was that was kind of the extent of it. And I live with it, you know, to this day. I mean, it's never going to be normal. So you can't move your pink, your pink ear. Well, as I get older, it's, like, starting to, like, I got arthritis in here. It's not working itself out. Like, so I try to stay active um, as much as I can. I can't write or do anything, you know, weird with it. And diving, actually, that was the biggest uh, problem because my hand would get cold. You lose all circulation. Mm-hmm. So that was the hardest thing. So I started to wear, you can't really wear mittens, but I did, you know, try to muscle <laughs> wear a mitten on this hand um, during when we do dive operations. But that was the biggest thing is the cold, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, And then uh, you have kind of like a ghost pain when you lose a nerve. Yeah. for several months afterwards and it feels like literally someone's like smashing your i mean like your arm with a sledgehammer mm-hmm. it's fucking it it hurts and um but that eventually you know went away you know but so so, so how long did it take you to heal up from that injury oh uh, it's pretty good so they wrapped me up and um i was you know just stitched and i was already had flexibility if they did the nerve surgery they would have put my arm in traction and stretched it out because i lost like a couple inches of the nerve um, but, uh, you know, it was just, I don't know, like, I'd say it was back at it, just operational in like a couple months. That's you know? crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was, and it's I not, can't. you know, the scar tissue is not, I don't know, I mean, it, it's not that bad. My funny though is weird is, is it in the inside of my arm now? So if I were to like do wrestling, like wrestling or anything like that, I can't, you touch this and it's like grabbing your, your funny, like, you know, you feel mm-hmm. that shock. I, I, I was expecting you to say like nine months to a year. <laughs> I was expecting <laughs> at least six. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Said it. Months. 
But then uh, what I can't believe is that they let you even stay in with without yeah. use of like two of your fingers. Well, they do. it's a little different though because you know they've invested so much time in you. It really, I mean, and I think a lot of guys just like maybe would use it as an excuse to get out. But I'm so close, you know, to mm-hmm. my EOS. I would get okay. You know, so just, you you so were good. coming up on the end of your what you signed up for. Anyway. Yeah, I was trying. I really wanted to go to the East Coast. That was my biggest thing because those guys were doing stuff down in South America and they were active. And but you know they just wouldn't have any part of it. The budgets were really tight, and uh, they're like, yeah. So that's when I got out. Okay. So what did you do um, when you got out? Did, did you have a girlfriend? Did you have any big plans or? Yeah, so I was married, you know, um, that didn't last too long. That was probably the personal thing. You know, one thing in the, in the teams is you can't have a personal life. I mean, that's uh, pretty much We skip, We missed that. When did you get married in that? In that? I got married like the last year in to, to the hot crazy one. Oh, and, okay. Uh, like Roadhouse, <laughs> that chicken Roadhouse. Remember that Patrick Swayze movie, The Blonde? She was like that. And uh, it was just, it was, yeah, she was perfect for me. Put it that way. So, um, so the hot crazy scale matched up at least. Yeah, I mean, while, for a little while, you always, you always, attra- you always attract the like. That's the way I look mm-hmm. at it, right? So I was, <laughs> I was pretty, yeah, not the best person to be with. And then uh, I got out, we got divorced, and uh, and then I, I really didn't have a plan. That was the biggest thing. So I was trying to like Rodney King. Remember that shit just happened? All the riots in L.A coming down to San Diego, like there were no jobs. So all the defense jobs, I figured I was going to get out and work at a defense company, right? So after you were, you're still pretty young. You're probably, what? Well, yeah, I was in my, yeah, I was 20, 25, 26. So there were, there were no jobs here in San Diego. I couldn't even get a job soldering. You know, that's how bad it was. That's wow. crazy. And, and so I started selling cookbooks toward the door because <laughs> I wanted to get out here so bad. And it was like fucking like literally, Commission only, grab these cookbooks, drop them off at offices, and come back at the end of the week and take money, and you get like a dollar or two a book. Wow. And I mean, fucking like literally, you, Arizona, I'm so poor, sleeping on the patio furniture at Motel 6, like wait for the week, waiting to see if I get any cookbook orders. And finally, it was this uncle, I'm out of here. And that's when I kind of jumped on my motorcycle, tail between my legs, and I moved back to New Mexico. And even then, that's where the shit started. That's where I started to really get in trouble. <laughs> Um, that sounds tough. Yeah, yeah. It's a I tough mean, place just, to be. Well, you know, because when you go in the military, like it's like your family. Like your everything's taken care of. Your your mm-hmm. your food, right? Your 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 housing, like all that stuff. So you jump right out of high school into that, and you really don't have the chance to live on your own, right? So yeah. and, and that door shuts when you get out of the teams. It shuts like fucking hold. I mean. Everyone's your friend and, and stuff, but once that door shuts and you decide to go, it's like, okay, you know, you're out and that's it. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. And so um, I moved back to New Mexico and I had this idea of like going to college, right? But the GI Bill was shit back then. It was like $10,000 and I played, you know, did a little of that, but ended up getting $70,000 in debt for nothing. <laughs> and um, I ended up working at a warehouse um, and hanging around with kind of the wrong people they were in sales. They were like uh, selling uh, pharmaceutical products, but they were doing drugs and shit like that. And, um, you know, I kind of like hanging around them because they were successful. And I was just like, okay, you know, you guys are making money and I want to be like that. I want to make money too. And so, but you know, the drug thing didn't work too well. And, um, 
I messed around for, you know, got involved in some, some, some cocaine uh, for a while and that messed up stuff. And then it was, and then um, had this idea on bringing um, surplus from the Middle East, a lot of guns um, into the country. So we wanted to start our own import business. So I'll just say Shelby is his name. I'm not going to tell you his real name. Um, he was a couple class, he was a class before me. Peaky blinders. Um, but, uh, so we brought two shipping containers into the country of guns, um, basically. And we, we had a connection. Um, and so one of them got busted in Long Beach uh, by customs and the other one made it to New Mexico. So I'm a so I had ATF show up at my doorstep and they said, Hey, you know, this is a pretty, pretty serious charges. I mean, we had everything in there, yeah. the whole nine yards, but um, they said, you're going to have to go to court for this, but you know, we're not going to take it away right now. So, so like I had this thing hanging over my head, like I had to go to court to deal with this felony, but at the same time I had to make my life, you know, like I was like, do I invest in putting my life together or cause I know I'm going to wow. have to go to jail maybe for this. Right. And so I said, fuck it. So I, I ended up getting a job working for this uh, manufacturing company in the warehouse and just kind of like put this thing behind me because it took forever for them to like take me to court. I didn't like it was waiting like a year, nothing. Right. It was wow. Just like, yeah. And you just got to do something. And and Shelby. So I didn't I back. We didn't really go through with the whole thing of selling because he wanted to start selling these to gangbangers and shit like that. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to, the cartel is fucking probably here in New Mexico. You know, I'm not going to, mm -hmm. no way get involved in that. So it was a great idea on paper. <laughs> and, but when the, the container shows up, it's like, Oh, I was, I just didn't have it in me to, mm -hmm. to be a criminal. So anyway, even though I you know, could probably be a good criminal, but uh, so I started working at this company <laughs> and just around business people and um, you know, got a job there and did okay met this my second wife <laughs> and um you know this company like i was working for a, an accountant guy there and he was started to teach me like accounting a little bit and uh, i was a quick learner and so i met my second wife there and she wanted to leave new mexico and i i definitely didn't want to be there so i but i had this court thing hanging out over my head so i'm like well fuck it i'm not hiding i'm just gonna move with it. let's move to boston right Mm -hmm. to back east. So we're like, fuck it, we're out of here. Family knew I just wasn't, you know, running from the law or anything. I'm like, look, they can find me, whatever. So I moved to Boston with her and um, I ended up uh, getting a job through a, a staffing agency in Boston. Um, but Boston, the move is the best thing ever because here's what Love it did. It. it was a big city. I was around people that like I aspired to be like, right? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to figure out how to, to like, get a job and wear a suit, you know, working downtown, all that stuff, right? Um, so I ended up as a job as a headhunter in Boston. A headhunter? Head mm -hmm. Yeah, the company that placed me uh, in a job temporary position, they said, do you want to be a recruiter? And I said, yeah, I can fucking do this, right? Commission only. Yeah. I said, I'll do it. So, so I was like, fuck it. So I, this is before <laughs> computers, before any of that stuff. Company's called Robert Half International, big one. And I went to work for him. And the first year, I was like, I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars. Like this is back then, right? That's big. I made one hundred seven, mm -hmm. and I was just like fucking, like killing it. Second second year, I was top biller in the office, like and just like killing it, like making like you know in my twenties, like two hundred two hundred fifty thousand a year in Boston back then was pretty damn good. But I'd spend mm -hmm. the money because I always had that thing. 
this is going to come get me, catch up with me, right? I knew I had to go mm -hmm. to court, but I just spend it like living, like I was living my last days. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like cars, like just trips, just never really packing away for the future. And plus, really? the girl I was with, was, you know, I moved, we weren't really, you know, in love. It was more like a roommate situation. She so, must have had no problem spending it too if you're spending that much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we all have our both responsibility. But anyway, so, um, I did that for a few years, still never, like I called the court, got pulled over a couple times, like nothing showing up. My parents like, talked to me, but I, what it did was it got me away from the drugs. Like that, that was a bad thing. I have a very addictive personality. Yeah. And um, so I became successful in that. And then 10 years later, I was in my M5 BMW, pulling on 128, lose, lose traction, Cop pulls me over and says, hey, you got a warrant out for failure to appear to court. I'm like, well, really? You know, and I knew what it was, but I did pull over it. Like, I, nothing showed up in the mail. Really? Taps the cuffs on me right there. And I'm managing people at this time. Puts me on a bus in chains, and I have to go back to New Mexico. To <laughs> oh, wow. And I had a felony weapons charge over my head, like big time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing, not small. My life was over, right? So I disappear. No one knows what happened to me for like a week till I get back there. But, you know, the whole time I'm like thinking positive. I'm like, I'm going to get out of this. You know, I've always been kind of like that way. You know, like mm -hmm. it's going to work out somehow. But I was like, fuck, just deal with it and whatever. So, so it's like 10 work. years later? Yeah, 10, 10 years later. That's wow. crazy. So I should even Did they even tell you that you had a court date? <laughs> so they couldn't, but I wasn't hiding. That's the whole thing. I guess what happened was they computerized everything. And so, you know, I guess it was easier to like, you know, when they pulled me over, they're like, okay, now I popped. They had something, but my family never got noticed in New Mexico. Like nothing ever showed up in the mail. I had a license. I'm paying taxes. You know, it's not like I'm yeah. hiding a yeah. false identity. Right. So anyway, I go back there. I show up in court. The judge, his name is Murdoch. I'll never forget him. And he says, hey, so pretty serious charges, but you've been a taxpaying citizen for 10 years. You have a successful career at a big company, you're managing people, no trouble whatsoever. He says, fucking charges dismissed with prejudice. <laughs> Get out of my courtroom. That's I was amazing. like, well, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. So, like, no <laughs> record, awesome. no nothing, even for Shelby. Same yeah. thing. He's you running for Senate right now. He's running for political. No way. Yeah. You can really? still own guns. You can still vote. <laughs> Everything. That was a yeah, lot. Man. And, and, it's like, and, and I got my job back, too. I was <laughs> like, I, I showed up. And my old, and what I found when my boss from England, he had got busted for shoplifting once. So he kind of was a criminal. So he kind of, and I told him, I said, Hey, this is I, most of what I could tell him. I said, yeah, I fucked up, but you know, for the most part, but I was revenue producing. I was making them money. They don't want to yeah. get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, the That's point right. is that I started to hang around with like business people and not with like the cronies in the military, like that mm -hmm. I stay stuck in the past. Yeah, and I made great. something more of myself without a degree. Okay, that, so that kind of means a lot. I mean, like you said, you touched on it earlier. Like, if you would have been continuing the same stuff, being a shitbag, getting in trouble when that charge came back around, he would have put your ass away. Uh, I would. The fact sure. that you were doing doing good for yourself is really the only reason he let you go. Everything so, will always catch up to you in life. I mean, yeah. I am a firm believer in that. So, mm -hmm. but I still didn't learn my lesson. So uh, yeah, I still fucked around a lot and uh, 
uh, several more years passed. And I think uh, that's when I really started to do a lot of the self-work. I was very mm-hmm. insecure. And um, and that was the the biggest thing is like when I spent a lot of time alone, that's when I like wisened up. And then my life turned around. And that and I'm a late bloomer. I'm talking like Greg maybe ten years ago. Like yeah. that's when we started to like <laughs> stripped it down and said, Okay, well, I gotta do something different. Yeah. And and that's where uh, you know, I met my wife, who's the best thing that ever happened, purpose, you know, gives me purpose and my family relationships is super strong. Right now, career seems to be going pretty good. You know, and I'm trying to influence, you know, the youngsters and stuff. But yeah, I, I fucked up a lot. Like, so what um, put an end to uh, you? You were in Boston with your second wife. What? When did you kind of make a shift away from that so, city? And and, so and the, soon you moved. Jail, you- that obviously helped with ending that relationship pretty quick. Um, but I was good. You know, she I wish her well. And then. Uh, I immediately hooked up with another chick because I was insecure. Had to jump from one relationship to the next, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that was, you know, it's called shingling, basically. You know, <laughs> shingling. Right, being alone. That's essentially what it was. And um, and then I moved to Chicago, um, and then basically, you know, back to the California. Ended up back in California, but you know, progressively working um, in business, and um, never let the degree get in my way. You know, literally, um, they either wanted to hire me or they didn't. You know, that's the way I looked at it. And um, But I was in sales, too, so it's a little different. And then um, I think really it was just one bad relationship where I had to take a look at myself. You know, and that was that was probably the blessing in disguise where I was with this chick and she just fucking ripped my spinal cord out and just fucking really had me evaluate, okay, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? So mm-hmm. I got to the yeah. point where... Um, I, I had an accident at AD in my bedroom, uh, like drunk one night and kind of looking like wondering who I was, you know, like was, I felt like I was looking down in this big hole, empty hole. Cause I'm just never satisfied. Like I would just always chase one thing to the next in life and just never find satisfaction in it. Right. And it was like, it's personal hell I was in. Like yeah. I, I never understood like how you could live in one town your whole life and grow up with a family and. And be content, right? I just had this uncontentness that would just never go away. And so that's where I, you know, just like uh, did that in Bakersfield. I think we met, I don't know, maybe when I was doing the waterball stuff. But um, that's when I uh, met that person back in the area and then uh, ended up turning down a job and um, for Autodesk to do that waterball project on my own. And I spent several years down in the Central Valley doing the water wells, just with good people, good country people, like alone. You know, this you're is, 50 uh, miles out in the middle of nowhere at a well. Rural California. Fuck uh, yeah. Like Baker's Tucky, you know, yeah. it's like way out there. <laughs> and, you know, working at three in the morning to avoid the heat and just like doing the water well stuff and just kind of spend a lot of time with myself. And then I end up, you know, over time, really liking myself, like being with myself yeah. and... That sounds like a big change, big change from what you were doing. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, Boston, but you so. go through this part. Like, I think when you start to rebuild yourself, you go through a part where your old life has to empty itself out. Mm-hmm. Like, all your friends, like, they no longer know who you are. You <laughs> think you're going a little crazy because you're exploring all this self. You're doing, reading everything, right? You're reading the Bible. You're reading, like, the self-help books. You're reading, And they're all saying the same thing. 
Like, and then you're like, well, fuck, this can't be a fucking joke. They're all saying the same thing. So how do you fix yourself? And then I finally said, fuck it, quit reading all the shit and just spend time with myself, you know? And that's a That becomes a distraction, all the self-help shit, right? Everyone, like, becomes gravitating. And you really just got to focus on your thoughts. And I started, like, making sure that any thoughts that didn't serve me, it got out of my mind and, you know, was affirmations. Right. Did that forever and then eventually just enjoyed being content alone i mean you feel alone you're like okay this is great but when's your life going to fill back up and it doesn't happen right away that's when i think god or whatever just sits back and says okay we're make sure you got the lesson here right okay and you're going to be alone for a while and it's going to suck and you're going to like you know wonder when manifestation or whatever that bullshit and and i kind of went through that and then gradually people even like you you know like people that like peppered back into my life that are just more are aligned with kind of my new values and then uh i ended up meeting my wife i wasn't even looking you know and she's the mm -hmm. best relationship in the world and she's like my dream girl physically but she's a <laughs> she's yeah. like an awesome mother and and pushes me and and uh you know all that stuff it's just so, like so where did you find your wife I found that to be an interesting, yeah, she's interesting, interesting person. Ukrainian mail order bride. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it. That's what it yeah. seems like. No, so I. Uh, it's funny. I found her. Uh, she so she. Uh, she's got a good story, actually. So she grew up in Siberia, and her father was in the Soviet uh, military, and she uh, lived in Kiev. And uh, she was married to uh, a guy that's now here in San Diego, Russian. He he came out. Um, but they had Stepan together. So Stepan lived with her until she was 10. And then hit her father, her ex, moved out here as a political refugee to live in San Diego. And Stepan wanted to come out and be with his father. And I had just moved back to San Diego because through all that stuff, the water balls, that got me pretty much the skills to get the job of defense, right? So I came crawling out of San Diego on my motorcycle. And 30 years later, to the fucking month almost, I'm back. Really? And I got a fucking wow. court. You know, I'm doing well, you know. But um, so she was in LAX, and I, I like saw her at LAX, and I don't know, man. It was just weird. I never really talked to anybody, but we just like I talked to her. I said, "Hey, what you out here for?" And she chatted, <laughs> and it, it like was super easy. And we spent the first three days together. We got married two weeks later. No way. Yeah, wow. and she didn't go back to Ukraine, and uh, <laughs> and now I'm friends. Like our whole like her mom's here now, but. Uh, her ex-husband's mom's here. Like, they'll all come over. Mm -hmm. Like, we're all, like, close, you know? So, Stepan's got a great, you know, situation. And um, she's, her looks are deceiving. So, she's, uh, you know, she's pretty and everything, but she's a solid, like, uh, you know, mother. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And she's tough. Yeah, as, strong. You know, yeah, very strong. I mean, she had her first banana when the Berlin Wall came down. That's you know, she <laughs> That's was over crazy. in uh, East Germany with her when her, her father was stationed there. And then, uh, you know, obviously grew up in Siberia. But stories are like them training tin with the Chinese just to get clothes that had some other colors in them besides Soviet green. Yeah. So she ended up working. Uh, she was working for um, the, the former president in Ukraine. So when we like so the army thing, we were talking about the vests and everything when the war kicked off. Yeah. Her uncle is in the army. That's pretty high up over there. So that's when, uh, you know, that's how that whole kind of thing started. But, uh, yeah, so sh we still have a condo over there. Um, and uh, 
but now and everyone's you, out with the exception it, of you, you guys still have a condo in ukraine yeah in kiev yeah so but that's where her mother went out pretty recently it, like it's pretty it's business is normal there like you could still go there you know obviously it's helpful if you know people there but they're yeah. trying to get along with their life. The fighting is open, and the fighting even before the war is still going on on the front. I mean, they're still like taking pop shots at each other, but now it's you know a little bit more rampant. Uh, were were you just over there? Yeah, yeah. So we just got back Tuesday. Wow. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Man. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's like you hear all this stuff, but you're one of the few people that I know that's like actually was just over there. It's kind of interesting yeah, to, it's to like, hear like what's going on for real. I mean, dude, it's it's sad because uh, when I first was over there six months before the war kicked off, like I met these kids. They were like uh, band, like playing in a band and everything. And then they, mm -hmm. when the war kicked off, they got drafted. Mm -hmm. First off, I have no sympathy for all those fuckers like that left Ukraine to avoid getting drafted. You mm -hmm. know, and then they're like fucking complaining about all those atrocities. I'm like, you should be there fucking fighting for your mm -hmm. country. You know. Like, and I, I run into so many people, you know, but, um, but these kids, man, were like asking me about body armor. That's yeah. it. And they were I, a couple of videos they were sending me there. Like people were scamming each other and, um, they were like, had to buy their own equipment. And like, it yeah. was kind of crazy. One of them ended up getting killed. Um, not killed initially, but, um, he had a, he, uh, stepped on me had a personal mine and it really fucked him up pretty bad. You know, and, and eventually yeah. passed. But, you know, so it's just like, yeah, it's been like unreal, you know? It's just. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, you got to see that whole thing kind of unfold from. And, it's, and I'm in a weird situation too, because I know, like, we want to keep them at war. Like, it's in the US's best interest. I'm telling you right now. Mm -hmm. But to them, right, they, they see it from a different perspective. And I kind of like have to. I don't know, stay neutral and stay out of it, you know, because like I know the war machine, how that works, right? It's just the thing. And and I'm not going to change that really. It's and it's set in motion, but I, I wrote a post the other week about you just got to figure out how to align yourself with what's going on and just make money from it. I mean, I don't know. Someone's going to do it if it's not me. Mm, yeah. But yeah, it's just screwed up now. And even the, you know, the stuff that's going on in the Middle East with the Israel and that shit, I mean, the minute you say something, you're anti-Semite or whatever. It's just, it's fucked. Yeah, I found it best, like you said, that just it's best to be neutral. I mean, really, yeah. is it? Is it really? It's know, as an Amer as an American, can you really have a hard take on it? You're gonna sound yeah, it's too either way. I feel it's very yeah. complicated. I don't um, even understand. Yeah, well, and, and um, I wanted to talk about your defense job. Uh, yeah, so. So what got what was what got your foot back into that door? Like what? So I, you, I you kind of explain to, what you what you're doing now. Well, I wanted to get in defense, obviously, from right out of the navy and be a gun dealer or whatever. But that didn't work out. Too well. But I always <laughs> yeah. wanted that. I always wanted to be in defense, right? That was my biggest thing because okay. um, I'm a gearhead and I like you know the stuff that it involves: rocket engines, explosives, all that stuff, and. Um, it's a very hard business to get into. Um, so ultimately what got me into it is what I learned doing the, the electronic stuff for the water wells. Um, but I tried for years to get into it and, and it's not, you can work for a manufacturer that makes a product, but it's like feast or fathom, right? So if you're making nods or something like that, you're, you get, you know, vests, right? For example, you're going to sell a whole bunch and 
okay, great. What's on the next? But the best place to be is really uh, in the middle of the industry where you're like the IBM Intel chip in front side of everything. And that's kind of where I'm at now. To be so, a part. Yeah. So I work with like the Raytheons, all the big contractors and the DOD, and they come up with a weapons program. Like we're going to build a jamming pot for the F-18. And then Raytheon, they don't want to build all the circuit boards. They want to design them, but they don't have a fab set up to manufacture all the circuit boards and all that stuff. So I'll, I'll bid on that work to get the electronics that go inside of whatever it is. F-18, the, uh, I'm working on a stormbreaker, got a small gliding bomb right now. Anything that's got electronic circuit boards in it. So I'll meet with like the DOD. So I'll go with the program manager guys that are, you know, and now they're going to Congress asking for the money. So we need this to develop this kind of weapon. Make sure it gets funded and budgeted. They'll go to Raytheon or Northrop Grumman or Lockheed. It'll get bid out. And I'll work with those guys to figure out, okay, who's going to win it. And I'll try and bid with everyone to, to make sure that I get a piece of that work. And that's just, that's essentially my job, you know, right okay. now. So you're so, like a sale, your, your company um, builds the sort circuit boards. Yeah, we basically build like all a manufacturing. Okay, yep. you're like a salesperson for the electronics manufacturer. Exactly. Okay, yeah, makes sense. So yeah. you're you're enjoying it. It seems like it's something you're passionate about. I mean, what what draws yeah. you to that industry? I mean, what, what I do think, you? Well, first off, I'd rather be an entrepreneur. You know, um, because mm-hmm. even in this industry, for example, like there's a lot of politics. I, like it's rare to get a job that is your hobby. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're making decent money and you kind of not are, you know, you like the people you work with. Like that's, that's like one tenth of 1% of the jobs out there. Yeah. You know, because anytime you work for an organization, it's still, you deal with shit. Yeah. But my last company, they, they bought, you know, they got bought and acquired and uh, they changed the comp plan like that in an instant. Right. So there's instability and, and uncertainty when you're not working, when you're, uh, when you're not working for yourself because, you know, big corporate America will do what's right for big corporate America. Um, it's not the long-term play for me though. You know, I just, I, I think it's, it's cool for now, but, uh, and I'm still not sure. I mean, people, I was <laughs> out in uh, France yeah. with Taylor, you know, the guy, SEAL team guy. Yeah. You know, Legion. And Taylor is like, you know, I don't know, this fitness coaching shit. I remember I did that for a while. I don't know. It seems like everyone's doing that stuff, but I don't know. Maybe oh. it's a niche for me, like for executives, like middle-aged guys, you know, that want to pay some money to see. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Sure. All you can do is keep going, right? I mean, that yeah, like, it will reveal yeah. itself. Your next opportunity is always going to reveal itself. And I think time. that's important though, what you make. So you don't need to know exactly where you're cutting. You kind of kind of know what highway you're on, but you need to focus on like in, in your day, like some people only see a day as like four or five big decisions. I see my day as like thousands of decisions. And as long as you make a conscious effort to make each choice that's right for yourself, because your, your heart, your gut will tell you if it's right for you. It's, it's the best thing for the, the greater good. Okay. Yeah. And it will get you to where you're going to end up, like to the right thing. Right. Yeah. So you don't need to know I'm going to be here in 10 years doing this. Mm-hmm. What you need to focus on is those micro decisions every single day and making the right one or as many right ones as you can because 10 years from now, you'll be at the right bottom. That's exactly right for you. It's like you're steering a giant ship and yep. it moves really slow and all those little tiny decisions, you know, 
really I keep it on course, move you in a big way. I, I feel like that's a huge, huge point. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have to agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, well, where were we, is there anything else we were needing to hit on? I, I know you talked about some things you wanted to talk about. Um, I feel like we're like close to where you're at now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know. So, I guess what what are you guys thinking? Like, what's maybe I'll ask you this? So, the goal. What is your goal? You know, of this podcast. Like, how do you how do you see it? Like, what do you want it to influence or rub off? You know, on people that are watching it. Well, one of the big things we talked about in one of our first episodes is we kind of want the show to be as re- real life as it as it can be. We're going to talk about real life shit and yep. uh, s- promote pretty much your definition of patriotism. Kind of mm-hmm. like caring about your neighbor. All the news is so negative and it's so far from everybody's scared to talk about, I guess you'd call them conservative values. I mean, we're not, yeah. we don't shy away from that. And that's kind of what I like about you too. You got this really um, top level job with a DOD uh, contracting company you're but you're not scared to spread your your ways of thinking like i i see i see your um posts and stories and stuff I'm like yeah like um so it's kind of edgy right ben, do- ben doesn't give a shit you know like <laughs> he's gonna say what he wants to say and that's how america should be and i feel like that part of america is like dying away they're trying to brush it over to the side and and, and it really ma- makes a big i think it makes a big deal uh, to prevent the degradation of our society people are afraid to be honest you know now and share their opinion because they're so so worried about hurting other people's feelings or whatever (laughs) you gotta set personal boundaries with yourself and that's it you know and and like and you have to do that at work too even at work like you know if they want to schedule a meeting at 6 30 i'm like fuck no i'm like no you know i'm just 8 30 for me or whatever you know i'm not afraid of that but like you have to um if you don't, it, it's just going to continue to get worse. And it's just like, I mean, even at work now, you, you, you like, you can't say, Hey guys on an email response. God, oh, really? Yeah. Right. You gotta be like, okay, team, yeah. or whatever. And I hate what, like <laughs> just labeling people, labeling people creates more discrimination and racism. That's it. When you were yeah. a kid, I didn't think of my black friend or my Indian friend or my Mexican it was mm-hmm. they were my friends, right? There are people, but we sit there and we're like black, white, gay, brown, whatever, fucking. Buy it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Shit. <laughs> it's like so fucking stupid. It really is, and it creates it creates more. It it it's doing exactly what they don't want it to. It's creating exactly mm-hmm. what they think they're trying to make it avoid. Like, right. dude, yeah. it's, it's stupid. Yeah, we we kind of talk about our local issues that we have in Ohio, but. It's more than these issues aren't just in Ohio. It's coming to a state near you, near you, right? I mean, it's all over. Well, he's in California, over. so we're getting. He's already had these. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So that we kind of try to influence and, and inform people voting in our local elections. Uh, there's just lots of issues that come up all the time, and some people, you know, don't like to believe their vote matters or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, we like to try to still believe it does and but you know it doesn't matter people a lot of people are just sitting on their hands not voting at all just because they don't care 
to or don't understand do it or don't or yeah the big one is just, they just don't understand because mm-hmm. uh, yeah you know i don't know if like going to like some people are going to the swamp or the pool like I, maybe a lot of politicians go in with the best intent yeah right and then are quickly corrupted by the system because i i don't think it like they're all corrupt as far as i don't care politicians republican they're all fucking corrupt yeah i mean well, the problem right. is you know like you said they don't always go in uh as corrupt but in order to stay there, you have to get corrupt. Otherwise, they'll flush you out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've we've right. seen we've seen guys get flushed out. Wow. You know, the first couple of years, just because they don't want to play the game. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I don't think I'd want to play that game. But I mean, I. It's it's tough, man. It's it looked like a tough game. But what do we do? Play. You know, so it's like you not vote, or you just continue to vote, and maybe with the hopes of getting okay, <laughs> eventually it'll change. I don't know. You know, I, I'd like to take your side and say, yeah, you, you got to actively just keep voting, you know, for the, the person you think is going to be, you know, the best. The best, you know, but still, I mean, I think people are all inherently selfish in nature mm-hmm. and they'll protect their own interests. And that's where you get the guy, like the last train out of town, apocalypse is happening and he pushes the kid off the train so he could take his ride home to his family. Mm-hmm. You never, you, you really see, you know, people like when you really take it, down to brass taxes, you know, people are capable of some pretty selfish acts. So oh, yeah. I like to give the human nature the benefit. Maybe, maybe things will change. We'll see. That's all you but can the do. US, I can say compared to Ukraine and other countries, we're just as, we're, we're more corrupt because we wear suits and we're not caring. <laughs> it's the same shit here that happens in Ukraine and all these other countries. It's just like, whatever power corrupts. Well, we wear suits and we have we have more resources to be corrupt with right yeah exactly (laughs) yeah well i have to say ben i appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and you're one gritty ass dude Mm -hmm. uh i think i think that uh, if you haven't if you don't follow ben on uh, social media on instagram what what's your handle it's like yeah where can we find you i don't even know it's like b (laughs) now i got pulled up it's a it is B, B underscore D A L Y one two two one. Yeah, B underscore daily one two two one. But you're just constantly dropping truth bombs. I don't even know how you formulate these great <laughs> quote. Did you just sit sit around and just think in the morning and just type out your thoughts? Is that yeah, is that a couple of cocktails, do? man? I'm like <laughs> I can come up with some great epiphanies. I mean, if you have if you don't follow Ben, I think you should. I mean, he's really just dropping truth bombs and a lot of knowledge almost daily. And I think he's a really good follow positive influence on social media in a world where there's a lot of <laughs> just stupid shit you can follow and watch on your phone. I think Ben is a good follow. Um, think you, you guys would gain a lot of value from Ben, Appreciate but um, yeah. So find him on Instagram. I think you're on LinkedIn and maybe yeah. some others, um, but we appreciate your time, Ben. And, that's going to be the end of the show. So, right, man. <laughs> Thanks, boy. Freedom on.